Yeah, I love my church. Come on, somebody. Woo! Man, listen to the smooth vocal stylings of Landon Stevens on there. I literally love my church. Hmm. Man, he missed his calling as a 90s R&B singer. Just born one generation too far, too, too past. How are you doing today? Good to see you guys. Man, I am, I'm, having a, I'm excited this morning because I love my church. I love you guys. I love the fact that you get a free t-shirt today. Yeah. Judah, would you just model that for us? Could you just, yeah, do a 360. Ouch. Sexy on a stick. Come on. It's, he's, he's illegal in four U.S. states. That's what I'm talking about. So we have one of those for you. Uh, right after church today, as you walk out, there's going to be some lovely people out there handing those out. Everybody gets one, and there's all shapes and sizes. I think just sizes, not shapes, you know, but they're, they're shaped like t-shirts. And uh, if you're shaped like a t-shirt, then you're in luck. Um, but we have one of those for you. I was going to wear mine again today, but I've worn it the last two weeks, and it literally smelled too bad. And I'm not joking. I know we actually own a washing machine, but I forgot to wash my t-shirt, and so I'm like, hey, babe, uh, can you smell this? She said, no. And I'm like, all right, if you're not even going to get She's like, I can smell it from here. Okay. You guys having a good day today? Thank you for being here. So good to see you. We are finishing up a two-week series called I Love My Church, and Bethany did an amazing job last week preaching on what it looks like to flourish as a palm. How many of you got a lot out of last week and were strengthened, encouraged? I thought that was awesome. I'm just a blessed man. I get to be married to an amazing woman. She's incredible in every way and did a great job preaching last week, and she's rocking the drums today. Come on. Pretty awesome. Uh, you know, as we, we get ready to jump in today, I just wanted to make some comments uh, about the things that happened yesterday. I was really just impressed uh, in a negative way that the racism and the hatred and everything going on in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm sure a lot of you saw that. And I really felt the Lord speaking to me out of that, that what an appropriate time to be talking about the church and what the church is. You know, I think a lot of people, they look at churches like they look at restaurants and they say, well, I like this church because of the preaching or I like this church because of the music or I like this church because they have great childcare. We don't have any of those things here, so it's not about preference here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We have a great, great team. Bad preaching. Everything else is awesome. Um, but, but a church is not like a restaurant. We don't go because of preference. We go because God planted us there. That, that's how we should see it, that it's a family. It's not a restaurant. We go because of preference. We go because we're planted. And, you know, as we talk about the importance of church and looking at the events of yesterday, I was just thinking God's answer to hatred, to racism, to all of this brokenness and these problems and this messed up thing is that he created what is called the ecclesia, means the called out ones. He created his church where all of us could bring our brokenness because all of us have brokenness. And it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter uh, what you've done, where you've been, what you're struggling with. But whatever your brokenness is, we can all come to the foot of the cross because we all need Jesus. Amen. And that the church should be the most loving and, and a place where people can come and, and be on the same level playing field. There's no tiers of socioeconomic class or race or color or whatever at the foot of the cross. It's just a, a level playing field. And that's what the church is, is the group of people that say we needed a savior and he's brought us out of darkness into light. He's brought us out of hopelessness and despair into, into hope and purpose. And that is what the church is for. And we are here in this time and this season to be that place. So when you see darkness and when you see despair and when you see brokenness in the world around you, how can you respond to that? Thanks, guys, for helping, helping her out. 
Um, how can we respond to brokenness in culture? It's by being a part of the good that God wants to do. Come on. You know, how do we respond and break down racism? It's by being loving and coming together in community and saying, I'm not going to reject you because of your brokenness or where you're at. I'm going to join with you and we're going to grow in Christ together. So it's such an important thing to be talking about the church. Now, as we jump in today, and I'll probably reference that a little bit more, but as we jump in here today, how many of you have that person in your life that if you need to be somewhere, if you need to be somewhere like ASAP, you're going to be late if that person's with you? You know what I mean? How many of you are that person? Right? So in my family, with Bethany and I, she's a go-getter. She's like ready to go on the move. Um, I'm captain slow. And I'm like, I I just move slow. I go slow. I do everything slow. I'm just like, I kind of puddle along through life. And Bethany's like, come on, let's go. She's kind of in a hurry. So we'll do that. I'm like tortoise in the hair, tortoise in the hair. But I am not the slowest person in my family because Jack, my son, when he came, he took it to a whole nother level. <laughs> Jack moves slower than molasses. My son Jack has turned slowness into an art form. If we need to be somewhere, Jack will suddenly decide he wants to wear that flip-flop that has that's vanished into the, some crack in the space-time continuum, and he has to go search through his room for the flip-flop, and then he needs his night-night, and then he, he's thirsty, and he needs a sandwich, and how many of you know what I'm talking about? So if we have to, like, if we need to, tomorrow we have to go to youth camp, we're going to go, so we're getting Jack ready to go now. Like right now, Jack ready to go, so that way he can go through his ritual. And I hate that, because I'm impatient, even though I'm slow, I'm impatient. I am the complete byproduct of an instant culture. How many of you are like me? You like it now. I want to listen to a song, I download it right now. I want coffee. I want it now. I'm like offended when I get in line at Dutch Brothers and there's more than two cars. What's this? I need caffeine. No, you know, might have a chemical problem. Okay. But I'm a byproduct of this instant culture and I don't like patience. To me, patience is like on par with the worst cuss words, right? Waiting. Uh, I don't like that. But in God's kingdom, patience perseverance, waiting, planting, these are the pathways of success. Not how fast you go, not how quick you are. No, it's about waiting. It says in in Isaiah chapter 40, and I wish this wasn't in the Bible, but it is. It says, but those who wait, say it with me, wait. Not those who push, not those who strive, not those who rush, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The pathway of success in God's kingdom is can you wait on God? Can you stay in one place long enough to see all of what God wants to do in your life come to fruition? Will you stay planted? Will you stay patient? Will you persevere and allow God to move? Or are you always in a hurry to go on to the next thing? Always in a hurry to get out of a situation. When a relationship starts to deepen with another believer where you can begin to confess your sin and begin to actually find some freedom and have a deep relationship, is that when you get uncomfortable and you go? Or are you willing to wait? Are you willing to stay? Are you willing to to wait on the Lord? Because that's where long-term success is found. 
not in this instant society, but in this idea of waiting on the Lord. And again, I wish it wasn't in there, but it is. I didn't write it. It says, wait on the Lord. Last week, Bethany did a phenomenal job, as I mentioned, talking out of Psalms 92 about the palm tree and how we flourish as palms in the house of God when we're planted. And I want to just continue that message and tie into it and finish it today and talk about the other image of a tree that is used in this passage, which we'll read together. There's the palm tree that's used and there's the cedar tree that's used. And these were two trees that the the readers of Psalms 92 thousands of years ago when it was originally penned would have understood uh, in great detail what these trees sort of represented and what their attributes are. And I want to talk about those today. So let's read, read together in Psalms chapter 92, verse 12. It says, But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together today. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us from your word. Lord, I pray that today we wouldn't just hear a a message. And I pray, God, it wouldn't just be about, oh, I went there and I got the, literally got the t-shirt and then left and I'm not different. I'm not changed. But I pray that God, today you would speak to us. God, you would change us. You would challenge us. Lord, you would allow what you want to do in each one of our hearts to be accomplished here in this place. God, we give you this time. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. But the godly will flourish like palm trees, and they will grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. You know, the writer of this psalm, under the inspiration of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit, is giving us two images that are in many ways, these two trees, very different from each other. And I think what God wants you to know is that when you are planted in God's house, when you are rooted in the courts of the Lord, that not only do you get the attributes of the palm tree, the flexibility and the resilience. You know, Bethany talked about last week how the palm can literally go through hurricane force winds and it can go completely horizontal to the ground and it can take its shape again and it's stronger even after the storm than it was before. That's amazing. There's this flexibility, this resiliency, this Uh, this kind of an attribute. But then the writer says, but also you're not just going to be like that flourishing palm. You're also going to grow strong like a cedar. And what God wants you to know is that when you will plant yourself in his house, when you will root yourself into his purposes, you get the best of both worlds. So what I'm talking about is having your cake and eating it too. You know, my mom would always say, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I figured out a way around that. Steal your sibling's cake. You know what I mean? One for now, one for later. Have my cake and eat it too. Come on. Any real people in here today? I'm an oldest child. I dominated my siblings. Steal their food. I know what it looks like to steal candy from babies. True confessions. And now that I have kids, I'm a dad. I'm just rolling again, right? Back in business. Hey, you're going to eat that? Okay. God's saying you can have the best of both worlds. You can be flexible. You can can take the storms of life and culture and the the winds that come through and all these kind of things, and you can be flexible and go with the flow. But also in God, you can be strong and immovable, like a cedar tree. See, the palm sways and is flexible. It's responsive to what's happening. Even like the events that we're going through in our culture, there's a lot of winds and things that are churning and changing and hate and this. We hate these people. No, now we hate these people. And it's always this and it's moving. And as a Christian, God wants to give you the humility and the flexibility to respond and to move and to to sway and to be flexible. But there's something also about your faith that he wants you to be strong and immovable. And in God, you get the best of both worlds. 
It's amazing. The writer of the song goes on. He says, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. I think that it's an amazing truth that we are all taken from some place and brought to God's house. When you put your trust in Jesus, you are brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are taken from confusion and brought into clarity. You are taken from despair and brought into hope. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching pretty good. You are taken out of this, this world system and brought into a place where now you are safe and protected in, in God. You're transplanted. You're taken from somewhere else. Our church should be so full of gratitude. Every person that knows Jesus should be absolutely overflowing with thankfulness and praise and worship and gratitude for, to God because he took us from darkness. Amen. You know, if you came to church today and you're thinking like, oh man, all these church people, everybody's perfect and I don't fit in here. Let me just tell you right now, church is not a place for people that Jesus needs. It's a place for people that need Jesus. Church is a place full of sinners that have come and said, Lord, I need you. Hopefully as a Christian, you grow more humble, not more arrogant about how good you are. Come on. And so everybody's welcome here. I don't care what you're, where you're from, where you came from. We're all here. God wants to transplant you from, from darkness into light. He wants to put you right into the, the middle of his house. It says they flourish in the courts of God. In the Middle Eastern culture, when this was written at this time period, the houses would have been built with a central courtyard. So you'd have your four walls and the structure of the house. And on the inside, open air was a courtyard. And all of the readers would have understood this imagery that this is where this palm tree or this cedar is at. It's literally right in the middle of this courtyard, right in the middle of this house. Saying what? That God wants to bring you right to the inside, right to the center, right to the middle place. And that you are to be centered in God's house among God's people and centered in God's kingdom and in God's purposes. You see, a lot of times when we approach Christianity mentally, we kind of have an image of like, I'm coming to the door, even the way that, that we do church. You know, we come in and we're kind of coming from the outside and moving in. And God says, no, when you come to Christ, he puts you right in the center. And if you get far away, it's because you're moving from that place. But God wants you right in the middle. God doesn't have a doghouse. God doesn't have like second class citizens. No, when you're brought in, you're brought in right to the center, like the place of honor right there in the middle. And it says this, finishing up the verse here, it says, even in old age, this is talking about the godly, those that know God, even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will remain important. They will rem remain fruitful. And they will remain green, which is God's color for the organ ducks. It doesn't say they will remain orange and black. And I, it's just, I mean, it's just the word, so... Can I get an amen? amen? They will remain vital and green. It's saying this, what? Even as we age, even as we get older, that God doesn't throw you out. That even as you're walking in this journey of life and, and you think, oh, I don't have something to contribute. I'm 60, I'm 70, I'm 80. No, God does not want you to retire. He wants you to stay connected right in the center. You're rooted down deep in his love and God can still use you. You can stay important. You can, stay, you can be a contributor. You have something to offer. God can use you. Come on. But you got to stay faithful to stay fruitful. You got to stay planted. You got to stay connected. And if you do that, the promise is even as you get older, God's going to use you. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? One of my fears is I don't want to be that guy who, you know, is, 
50, 60 years old, and I'm like, what the heck are they playing? And what is this music? And, and all these, quiet those kids down, you know, and yelling at people because they don't, they're, you know, why are you wearing that? And all this kind of stuff. I don't want to calcify. I want to remain flexible and humble and useful to God to love people well. And that's the promise. If you'll stay planted and stay connected, you can be a little bit curmudgeonly. Come on, I, I, I'm going to be curmudgeonly. Let's just be honest here. I'm already a, a curmudgeon. But, but I want to stay flexible in my heart. I want to stay vital and green, be a person that can feed others and help others. And that's the promise if you will be planted. So let's talk about the cedar tree for a second. The psalmist uses the imagery of the palm, flexible, resilient. There's awesome stuff. If you listen to Bethany's message from last week, it was phenomenal. It was amazing. Even if, I mean, like literally it was so good, put some headphones and listen to it now. I mean, right now, if, because yeah, it was great. But the other image the psalmist uses is the image of the cedar tree. Now, let me tell you some things about the cedar, since we're not totally familiar with this cedar of Lebanon in our culture, in our time. It was highly desired, this tree, in the ancient world. It was actually called the trees of the kings. And builders and craftsmen, they wanted this tree. They wanted the cedar wood. And it makes sense because in Mesopotamia and Egypt, the two great empires at the time, they didn't even have a tree they could make boards longer than three feet out of. So they, they needed this kind of, of lumber. And so they had to go to Lebanon and areas of Turkey that where the cedar tree grew up in the mountains. And it was a highly valuable resource in the ancient world. And the cedar tree of Lebanon, it grows very slowly, but it, it gets really, really tall. It can reach heights of 100 feet which is pretty amazing. But that's not probably the, the thing about the, the cedar of Lebanon that, that is so different than the palm tree. What, what really is different, what's amazing, is that the cedar tree can live for up to a thousand years. A thousand years. Now, what's God saying to us when he says, you're going to be like a palm and you're going to be strong like a cedar? God wants us to have a long-term perspective about faith. God wants us to have a long-term perspective about our souls. God wants us to have a long-term perspective about our impact that we make. That God wants you to be strong like a cedar that lives for a thousand years. That your life is not just about what's happening for you, but it's about your children and your grandchildren. It's about your culture. There's a longevity uh, 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 that God is speaking about the cedar to be strong. It lives for up to a thousand years. Now, something interesting about this particular cedar that, that it's speaking about is that it can take 25 to 30 years for this tree to reach maturity before it can actually reproduce and be fruitful. Um, it actually takes quite a while for it to get to this time of maturity and fruitfulness. But then once it's there, it's there for a really long time. And it's strong for a really, really long time. And what is God saying to us through this? Well, I think one of the things that that he's saying is this, your best days are not even happening now. They're far in your future. That if you will stay planted, if you will stay connected, if you will stay rooted in God and rooted in his house, in the place that he's called you to be planted, that you will continue to, that it might take you a long time, but, but you're, you're still not even seeing everything that God wants to do through your life. Your best days are ahead of you. I think so many times we're very impatient with our faith. We're like, ah, I prayed about it and I've been waiting on God for 20 minutes and I don't have an answer. Man, I've been a Christian for a year and I haven't like um, preached any crusades or prophesied. Like I haven't done any of the really cool stuff like they did in the book of Acts. Um, I'm just like, wait, you know, 
And we get really impatient, and a lot of what God is going to do with your life might even happen after you're dead. I mean, you think about people that, that really impact the world, like we're talking about years and years and years later. One of my heroes of faith is John Wesley, and like we're, we're talking about this guy, and he's dead. Like He's not doing anything now, but now what he did is even being recognized, he left a legacy. God wants us to have this perspective of longevity. Like, hey, I'm planted and I'm going to be here for a really long time. Like this thing with God is going to go on and on and on. It's a lifetime commitment. And actually all the great things that God wants to do with my life, I might not even be experiencing them yet, but they're coming. They're coming, right? Turn to some, we don't hide, oh, lame. Don't do that. Okay. It's going to have you turn to somebody. Nah, we're not going to do it. Moving on. Say thanks, Pastor Jake. Thanks. Introverts, unite. Okay. Your best days are far in your future. So stay faithful, stay planted to be fruitful. Now, why does God compare us to these cedars? I want to give you five areas of strength that we see from the scriptures where God wants us to grow strong in, uh, strong like a cedar of Lebanon. God wants us to become strong. Number one, God wants us to be strong in faith, strong in faith. Now, let me clarify something a lot of times in our culture, when you hear the word faith, it's, it's this kind of faith that means having a blind trust in a fantasy thing. So people say, well, I'm a person of faith. And that basically in culture means that you're like the kind of person that believes in the Easter bunny, right? If you say I have a faith in God, but the Bible, that's not what faith is in the Bible. Faith in the Bible is confidence in a person that has demonstrated who they really are. So when you know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus, his faithfulness demonstrated towards you, you have faith in him because he's proved himself to you again and again and again. So that even in the face of contradictory evidence, you don't say, oh, I'm out. That you're strong in that because you're rooted in that relationship. So that's the kind of faith that I'm talking about. God wants us to be strong in our faith and our confidence in the relationship that we have with our Savior. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. A lot of times we put the intellect before relationship. We tell people, even as we preach the gospel, even as we evangelize the world, we say, well, if you will believe in Jesus, if you will believe the intellectual tenets and the doctrines and the dogmas and the creeds, if you will accept the intellectual side of Christianity, then you can come to know the Savior. And Jesus said, no, that's actually the wrong way around. That you need to first have a relationship with Christ, and then you will grow strong in the truth. That truth does not come abstractly disconnected. It comes in the person of Jesus, your faith. You need to be strong in your relationship with Jesus. Strong in your relationship with Jesus. Grow strong in faith. Your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. When will that happen? When your roots have grown down into him. When you, our, our lives are built on him. That's when our faith grows strong. That's when our faith grows strong. As we grow in our faith in Jesus. Number two, God wants us to be strong in weakness. Now that's a paradox, right? How can you be strong and weak? This is actually one of the most beautiful elements of the Christian faith. And I want to read it because Paul speaks it out so eloquently in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, Paul says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Amen, amen. No, we don't want these things. For when I am weak, listen to this, when I am weak, then I am strong. I think a lot of times we misrepresent ourselves as Christians when we say, well, if you become a Christian, you know, everything kind of is perfect and God does all these amazing things and you become so strong. Actually, we should be a lot more comfortable to show our weaknesses and our humility and our brokenness and allow God to shine through us so that people see the strength of God even through our weaknesses rather than presenting this false image of somebody who's sort of strong. Does that make sense? God wants us to get to this place of humility where we're comfortable to say, look, I have a lot of brokenness. I have a lot of insecurity. I have a lot of problems. But God in my life is strong. That even in the storms that I face, even in the storms I create, look at Jesus. Look at how beautiful he is. Look at how wonderful he is. Man, today I was overwhelmed in worship, singing that song, Oh, What a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Can people, can people see that you depend on him? Are you strong in your weakness or are you strong in your own strength? Do you let people see your brokenness and, and your scars and these things and say, look, but God has done this in my life. See, I think people are interested in the authenticity of faith, not in the fake, glossy image that a lot of times as Christians we present. God wants us to be strong in weakness. Number three, strong in character. Strong in character. What is character? Ralph Waldo Emerson said, character is who you are when no one is looking. I would say that your character is the real you. It's, it's the you apart from the perception of others. It's the you apart from your presentation that you give to the world. It's the real you. It's your real moral uh, courage, your real integrity. Whatever it is, good or bad, it's the real you. And the Lord wants us to be strong in character. Listen to what it says in Psalms 15. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Now, let me just tell you what I think you heard me say. I think you heard me say that if to have character means you have to be perfect. That's not what I, actually what the scripture's saying, and that's not what I'm saying. In fact, everybody in this room knows you're not perfect. You know it, and we all know it too. Come on. Like, if you think I'm up here preaching because I'm perfect, you're wrong. I'm not. I'm not perfect at all. Character is not perfection. Character is speaking the truth from a sincere heart. A blamelessness, what the scripture's talking about here, is not that you never do anything wrong. It's that you don't change the truth. When you do something wrong, you say, that was wrong. That was wrong. That was not okay. And I depend upon Jesus to make me right before God not in myself. Self-righteousness is probably the furthest thing to get you away from God. When you say, oh, I'm good, I'm good without him. No, blamelessness is saying, look, I have made a lot of mistakes. I do drop the ball a lot, but I depend upon Jesus and he's the one that stands in my place. See what I'm saying? And then not being a truth changer. Did you know it's a lot better in life? In fact, God responds a lot better to people that break truth than people that change truth. You see, our culture is very scary. We are in the midst of what is called moral relativism. It's very interesting. Right now, everybody's hating on the neo-Nazis and racists, which, hey, come on, that sucks. And yet, we're, well, we're willing to hate on racism, but we're fine with sexual immorality. Well, that's my body. Come on, somebody, I'm preaching right now. 
This is called moral relativism. It means, well, I have my own standards. We all have our own standards. That, that does not work. First of all, it's illogical, but secondly, it's against the way that God created this universe. Things are objectively right and things are objectively wrong. And a person with integrity will come to that and say, look, I might get a few things right, but I get a lot of things wrong. I don't change the truth. I see God's standard and I recognize that I fall short. Therefore, I need a savior. Integrity do not, does not change the truth. It does not justify your actions. Oh, it was okay for me to do this thing, to hate this person because they're, they're a hateful person. Did you know that it's not okay to hate people that even do things that are bad and wrong? Did you know that God loves the people that you hate? And thank God for that because people hate you. Right? The, the most provocative thing about Christianity is not God's judgment. It's God's love. Because God loves rapists and murderers. And God loves child abusers. And God loves people that are greedy and alcoholics. God loves judgmental church people. God loves all of us, and we're all broken on the inside. Come on, church. And so we say, well, we're going we're gonna to jump on this moral high ground and hate on these people. No, God doesn't want you to hate anybody. God loves everybody. And our prayer should be, God, would you redeem and ransom the neo-Nazis? God, would you redeem and ransom the sexually immoral? God, would you redeem and ransom me? Because I'm broken. Let me just tell you right now, we don't have a problem with racism. You're like, we don't? No, we have a problem with racism, but it's a symptom of a sickness. We have a problem with the human heart. You and I have just as big as a, of a problem on the inside of us. There's poison in our veins. And all of us have to come to this place where we come to the cross and say, I don't stand in my own righteousness, but Lord, I want to have character. God, I want to be a representation of what it looks like to be somebody who follows you. Come on. And it's okay as you pursue Jesus to allow him to transform you so that your behavior actually improves. But the message of the gospel is not, oh, come to Jesus and he'll make you behave better. No, he will give you a new heart and you will change. But God wants us to be strong in character. Number four, God wants us to be strong in relationship. Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He didn't say it's the way you do church or it's the way that you, you communicate the gospel. No, he said, your love for one another. Church, we win and lose in the area of love and relationship, not doctrine, not, not how we do church, not, not how we present. It, it's, it's how we love. I want to challenge you today. If you are a follower of Jesus, you do not have the right to disconnect yourself from his church. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are not being faithful to the gospel if you disconnect from community. Now look, you're like, are you saying I need to be at Joy Church? No, if Joy Church is not the place where God wants you to be planted, then go do this, what I'm talking about, somewhere else at another church. Get planted though. Do not disconnect yourself from relationship because the most powerful proclamation of the gospel is supposed to be the church. That a bunch of broken sinners could be redeemed and ransomed and love each other so that the world would see, gosh, that group is a little different than us. It's sad to me that in our culture, the church is not known as the place of love, but as the place of judgment. That's wrong. And it starts not with even the church loving the world. It starts with the church loving the church 
It starts with you and I loving each other, being there for one another, embracing each other in our brokenness. Is there somebody in your life that you can go and say, look, this is my sin. This is the real me. Do you have somebody like that? Are you that kind of person that somebody can tell stuff to? Do you have people that will call you out? Do you have people that will walk with you? Who's going to be there when you get sick? Are you in community? Are you in relationship? Do you love people? Our church vision is to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. And I believe when we do one and two well, the third one happens by osmosis, automatically. People that so love God that when you hit God's heart, when you touch that electric center of God's heart, it will immediately transform you and you will love people and want to be with people and what breaks God's heart will break your heart and you will love people. When we love each other well, that's what proves that God is among us, strong in relationship. When Bethany and I were praying about Joy Church, we both grew up in church and we were at amazing churches. Every church we've had a part to be a part of is a great place. But one of the things we said is we said, we want to be a part of a church that has authentic community, that really people love each other, they're in each other's lives. And I, that's what Joy Church is to be. Now, not every one of us are going to have a relationship, but there's got to be some place, joy group, people around you. It doesn't have to just be a church event. Are you in relationship? Do you have people in your life? Are you being that kind of person, strong in relationship? Number five, strong in the spirit. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I think that it's so important for us to remember today that there is a spiritual battle going on and that we don't, do not fight against flesh and blood. You see, this is our natural response. Well, we hate these racists, and tomorrow we're going to hate these people. And tomorrow, oh, well, we, it's Trump. It's, he's the problem. No, it's North Korea. No, it's liberals. No, it's conservatives. You know who it is? It's all of us. We're all the problem. And we just go back and forth about who screws it up more the next day. And let me tell you what the answer is. It's not to get on Facebook and type out your scathing rebuke of the other side. It's to get into your prayer closet and begin to go to war with the, where the real battle is happening in the spiritual world. Let me ask you to do something. Before you post your next brilliant scathing attack against those people. Because I know for, there's a lot of, for in here, everybody has a different those people. If you think everybody agrees, you're wrong. Because I, I know a lot of you and I, you, you're all crazy. Anyways, <laughs> before you get in and you, you, you just destroy the other side, go talk to God about his heart for the other side. Go talk to God about his heart for this city. Go talk to God about his heart for you. And then when you write something, it might actually do something as opposed to just throw gasoline on a fire that's destroying our culture. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not Trump. It's not North Korea. It's not Democrats or Republicans or liberals or conservatives. It's the spiritual battle that's raging. The devil wants to drag people down into an eternity without Jesus, and God wants to redeem everyone. That is the battle lines. 
And so when you go out, Christian, go out full of the love of God and love people on the other side. God loves the people that you hate and God loves you. Spend some time in prayer. Is it okay for Christians to pray or are we past that now in the 21st century? Oh, pastor, I don't have time to pray. I'm too busy. No, you have wrong priorities. You cannot afford to be a follower of Jesus and neglect prayer. You cannot afford to be a follower of Jesus and neglect his word. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and break out of community. You gotta say, look, if I'm following Jesus, I gotta, I gotta know him. I gotta be with him. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The problem that you see is not the real problem. The problem is in the spiritual realm. And I guarantee you, if you will take time to wrestle in the spiritual battle and be strong in the spirit of God, that things will change around you. Things will change. You want to make a difference in the world? Pray. And I'm not talking about pray like, Jesus, I just pray. No, I'm saying like, be real with God. Let me, let me tell you what my prayer time sounds like. God, I suck. Oh God, I did that thing again. Lord, I don't want to do that. God, I just yelled at my kids. I'm, I'm angry all the time. God, will you change my heart? If you guys think that I pray like in my closet, like, oh, dear Heavenly Father, dear Jesus on high, I just pray to you, oh, mighty Lord and Savior. I, that's not how I pray. When I'm in the car, I'm like, God, I freaking hate that person. They suck so much. <laughs> Lord, give me some grace today. That's how I pray, you guys. So I'm talking about prayer. It's not this fake religious. I'm talking about talk to God and listen to what he says and let him transform you. We wrestle against those unseen powers. I don't want to stop, but we're going to stop. Can I pray for you today? God wants us to be strong like a cedar.